This past Friday, when I was preparing my sermon, I came into church and I saw all the year 12s at Cedar having their final barbecue on the lawn. Can you believe it? 2020 is almost over. Who's happy for that? (laughs) Our year 12s have graduated or are graduating and they're finishing. And as I noticed them out on the lawn, it brought me back to my final day of year 12. I remember finishing up year 12 and having this feeling, you know, is that it? Now what? You know, you can be disorientated as a student after having studied for 12 straight years, and when you come to it, the end of it all, you can have that feeling of, now what? What am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? You know, when I think about that, I think you can have the same feeling after you've become a Christian. You know, typically when someone becomes a Christian, they go on this search and they investigate Christianity, and then they take the big step of repenting and trusting in what Jesus has done for them. And when you first become a Christian, it's an amazing time. But after you take that initial step of commitment and then you're baptized, you can wonder, now what? What am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? Well, in the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul answers this question, now what? What are we supposed to do with our lives now that we've become Christians? So if you haven't opened up your Bibles, open them up right now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you've been with us over the past five weeks, or if you're just joining us today, we're glad you're here. We are studying through Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, and we've come to chapter 4. Basically, this is the midpoint in the letter. The first three chapters, Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians. He's reminded of of how well they're doing by Timothy. And then as we come into chapter 4, verse 1, you'll notice Paul says, Finally, then, brothers. Now, you know preachers, when they say finally or in conclusion, (laughs) you know that they typically have a lot more to share. And Paul, he's a preacher, and he has a few more things that he wants to teach the Thessalonians. And one of the things he wants to teach them is he wants to teach them now what? What are they to do with the rest of their life? And in verses 1 and 2, Paul points out the main purpose of a Christian's life. Then in verses 3 to 5, he talks about the way that Christians accomplish that purpose. And then in verses 6 to verse 8, he gives the motivation for that purpose. So we have the main purpose of the Christian life. Then we have the, uh, the way to accomplish that Christian life. And then we have the motivation for that Christian life. So, um, has someone got their streaming on right there on their phone? You want to? Oh, there we go. The phone's on. There we go. Fantastic. Thank you. (laughs) So, let's look at the main purpose of the Christian life. What is the main purpose of our lives as Christians? Well, the main purpose of our Christian life, according to Paul, is to please God. Look down in verse 1 of your Bibles of a of 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, Finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Do you see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, Thessalonians, just as you've received from me how you ought to walk or how you ought to live and please God, do so more and more. 
So what he is telling the Thessalonians is he's telling them that the main purpose of your life now that you've in Christ, that you've come to Christ, your main purpose is to bring honor and glory to God. It's to please God with your life. You know, I wonder, is that your life's purpose? Do you wake up every day and think today, the one goal of my life is to please God, is to bring honor and glory to God? Now, you might say, well, I thought Timon you know, now that I've become a Christian, God doesn't really care about what I do because, you know, I'm accepted by grace. You know, and it is true that when you become a Christian, you become dressed, you get dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. You are declared to be right with God through the work of Jesus. But even though you are righteous before God in your position now because of the atoning work of Christ, still your day-to-day practice matters. You know, on my finger here, I have a wedding ring, and my wife Tegan, she gave this to me, and she made various vows to me. She said, she said that she would be with me until death do us part, in sickness and in health, for richer or poorer, and all of those sorts of things. And so I know that she loves me, and she'll always love me, because this ring is a symbol of our love. But yet still, even though we're in this covenant relationship where she loves me, still my behavior does affect the quality of our relationship. Uh, I can please her or I cannot please her. And in the same way with God, you are now in a relationship with God if you believed upon Jesus, where you are now standing right with God, but still your day-to-day behavior does affect your fellowship with God. And God can be more or less pleased by the way that you live. And there might be some people here this morning and the way you are living right at this moment is not pleasing to God. You know, all the way throughout the Bible, you will see God come to various people and him challenge them about the way that they're living. Like in the book of Revelation, Jesus comes to the church at Laodicea and he says, you are neither hot nor cold, but because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus wasn't pleased with the way that the church of Laodicea were living. But the good news of this verse is that you can also live in a way that is pleasing to God. Notice that Paul says in verse 1 about the Thessalonians, he says, you know, I urge you and ask you to live in a way that is pleasing to God. And he says, just as you are doing. So you can live in a way that is pleasing to God. And I think it's important to note That Paul says there in verse 1 that you receive from us how you ought to walk. Paul, Timothy, and Silas gave them specific instruction on how they were to live as Christians. As he says down in verse 2, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. You know, becoming a Christian is not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. And while we never graduate from the gospel, there is more to learn in the Bible than just the gospel. You know, in the church that I grew up in, we had the gospel every single week, which was a good thing. And someone would get up and preach, and they would preach on something, and then they'd run out of things to say, and so they'd end up giving the gospel at the end. And I remember even as a young person starting to wonder, does the Bible have more things to say than just the gospel? And the truth is, it does. It has teaching on marriage, teaching on family, teaching on relationships, teaching on how to deal with conflict, teaching on how to deal with your money. And as you apply that teaching to your life, 
you will build a life that is more and more pleasing to God. But you will also build a life that is also, I think, more fulfilling for you. You see, I think that God's glory and your joy are not actually at odds with one another. But when you make it your goal in life to please God, you will find that you end up with the most fulfilling, rewarding life possible. Let's say I bought you a new coffee machine and I came to your house and there was that new coffee machine and you were using it as a doorstop. And I said to you, that's a coffee machine. And you said, no, it's a doorstop. And I said, no, it's a coffee machine. Now, you know that you are never going to get the full pleasure out of that coffee machine while you use it for a doorstop. Now, you can use the coffee machine for a doorstop, right? Can't you? But what is the coffee machine supposed to be used for? Making sweet nectar. that wakes us up in the morning. And you see, the same is true for your life. You could spend your life in a whole heap of different ways. You can. But you were actually created to bring pleasure to God. You were created for the glory of God. That is your main purpose. So what are you to do with your life? You're to live your life in such a way that brings the maximum amount of glory to the name of Jesus. Amen? That's what, that's what you're to do now that you've become a Christian. But how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you bring the maximum amount of glory to God with your life? Well, you do this, we please God by continuing to grow in holiness. Notice in verse 3, Paul says, For this is the will of God. You know, if our life is going to be about pleasing God, we better know what God wants, right? Now, when it comes to the will of God, I've found that many people, when it comes to God's will, they basically want to know God's will in, in, in reference to, you know, what they're going to do for a living or maybe who they're going to marry. You know, especially young people, they want to know, what does God want me to do with the rest of my life and who does He want me to actually marry one day? But, you know, I have found... I have found that God really doesn't write in the sky who we're going to marry or what we're going to do. I've never walked out and seen in the sky this handwriting in the sky telling me what I'm going to do. God's will doesn't tend to work that way. The way that God's will typically works is that God gives us His moral will, what He desires from us as people. And this is one such place in the Bible where we are told specifically what God desires from every single one of us. Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. What does God want from you? He wants you to be a sanctified person. Now the word sanctify or sanctification is really just a church word. We don't really use it out there in the world. You don't go into Woolies and say, can I have a piece of sanctification please? I don't really use that word out there. And uh, you know, it basically comes from the Greek word, Hagios, which means holy. And the word holy means distinct or set apart. You know, if you were to come back to my place after, after church and we were to have lunch and we were to be having a barbecue and I was to be cutting up the meat and as I was cutting up the meat, I accidentally cut off my finger. At that moment, my finger would be holy. It would be distinct. 
It would be set apart from the rest of my body. I would also be in much pain, I I imagine. Well, God is said in the Bible to be holy. He is said to be distinct, different from the rest of creation. There is the creator God, and then there is creation. And God is also holy in his moral purity. He's completely separated from all sin and completely righteous. And God calls his people to be holy like him in that way, to be set apart from sin and set apart to him. Now, in verse 3, Paul gives the Thessalonians, he moves from the, the, the abstract to the very concrete. He moves from the very abstract to the very, a very concrete way that they can be set apart to God. He says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. The Greek word for sexual immorality is the word porneia, from where we get the word pornography. Now, the reason that Paul pointed this area out is he knew what was happening in Thessalonica. He knew the place that they lived and he knew the issues that they would deal with. You see, sexual morality in the first century and particularly in Thessalonica had become, sexual immorality had become a really big, big problem. Our marriage was on the decline, divorce was increasing. Now, one of the things that I read said that, that women could actually, would actually you know, count their divorces by the years because they were getting divorced, getting divorced and remarried each and every year. Uh, marital fidelity was, was, was just a thing of the past. People had affairs all the time. Um, Roman men would have a wife uh, and to, you know, uh, to have children, but then they would have mistresses and they would have sex with their slaves. Uh, physicians counseled young men at the time that they shouldn't restrict their desires because that would be unhealthy for them, but they should just go straight ahead and have sex with the, with the household slaves. And even, even in Thessalonica, even religion had become perverted. Uh, the religion at the time in Thessalonica was uh, they, they worshipped this deity called Cabria, and we have archaeological sort of evidence from this time. And, and it turns out that the way that you would worship this deity was by coming into the temple and having sex with a temple prostitute. And so Paul said, you guys need to be different. You guys need to be distinct. You need to abstain from sexual immorality. Now, some people think that Paul is saying that we should abstain from sex itself. But that's not true. God created sex. And husbands and wives should enjoy, enjoy intimacy in marriage. It should be something that they pursue and enjoy. It should be beautiful. But God tells us to abstain from sexual immorality because he loves us. And he knows how destructive sexual immorality is for people, how it destroys their souls, how it robs them of vitality. For the guys that I've counseled who have been stuck in pornography, where they just view pornography over and over again, what ends up happening is their world becomes smaller as this monster of lust 
becomes greater in their lives. They don't know how to relate to people anymore. And so God loves us, and that's why He tells us to abstain from these things that will actually destroy us. Some of you might be here today, and your life is being destroyed by sexual immorality. Well, a number of years ago, if I was to preach this sermon a number of years ago, maybe four years ago, I probably would have made the topic of this sermon all about sexual purity. Uh, About four years ago, Sarah Bloomfield and I, we wrote a book called Pure Love about this topic because we were concerned about uh, the young people in our church and we wanted to give them biblical instruction about how they can actually pursue godliness and holiness in this area. And I don't think that that need has diminished at all. I think that that need is still very much there. But as I was thinking about it and as I was preparing for us today, I thought about it and I thought, I didn't want to give the impression that, God, that, that, that purity and holiness is just about abstaining from sexual immorality. That's, that's the only area of our lives that God is calling us to be holy in. Because sometimes you can get that message, as long as I just clean up my act in this area, then I'm a holy person. But actually, God calls us to holiness in every area of our lives. He calls us to holiness in the way that we speak, in the way that we use power, in the way that we use money, in the way that we rest. You know, we are living in an exhaustion culture. And Christians should be distinct. Christians should be different. Christians should be able to have time off and rest. Because we don't have to prove ourselves by our works. We should be distinct in the way that we use this thing. Our smartphones. Now, the other day, it was interesting. Um, just a little aside. This is, this is just a little aside. Do, do you, who here believes that their phones listen to them? Yeah, I reckon, I reckon my phone is listening to me because we were having an argument at the dinner table over whether women can be colorblind or not, right? Who here believes that women can be colorblind? All right, who here doesn't, who believes that only men can be colorblind? That was me and Tegan. The answer is actually women can be colorblind, by the way. That's actually, that can actually happen. I didn't think that was the case. I thought it was just a male thing, right? And so I put into my phone, in the Google, in the Google, Um, (laughs) I put in my phone in Google, can women, that's all I wrote, can women, and the first suggestion was, can women be colorblind? How did it know? I could be asking a heap of questions about women, like can women drive, for example, you know, (laughs) other mysteries. Just kidding, just kidding. But God is calling us to be distinct. He's calling us to be different in our lives. And when it comes to pursuing holiness, there is one issue, I think. There is one issue that you need to really deal with. Look down in your Bibles. In verse 4, Paul says, abstain from sexual immorality. And then he tells us how. He says that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. The key issue in pursuing holiness is developing self-control, is developing personal discipline. 
Someone has said that discipline is the cost you have to pay to get you from where you are to where you want to be. You will never develop character unless you develop self-control, unless you develop the ability to say no to sin and yes to God. Now, how do you do this? Well, I think that self-control begins with repentance. It begins by getting on your knees and saying, God, I'm so sorry for the way that I've been living. I can't do it myself. God, I come to you. Please give me your grace. And you repent of your sin. And then it's developed by daily obedience, where you walk the pathway of obedience and you resist temptation. Last year, we had John Elmore, a pastor from Watermark Church. He came to our church and to our REACH conference. And John Elmore uh, is a former alcoholic. And John told us his story of his journey out of alcoholism. He said one, one time, because his life was all messed up because of alcohol and alcohol abuse, he went to a recovery ministry, just broken. And this guy asked him, he said, will you, will you just, with God's help, just for 24 hours, be sober? And John said, yeah, I think I can do that. So John got on his knees and he said, God, give me the grace, give me the power just to turn away from alcohol for 24 hours. Well, this guy rang him up 24 hours later and said, John, did you do it? Were you sober for 24 hours? And John said, yeah, yeah. And he said, well, why don't you go another 24 hours? So he went another 24 hours. And those days turned into months and those months turned into years. And John Elmore has now been sober for 13 years. And he showed us at the REACH conference like this, this little coin that has a 24 on it that they give to alcoholics who have been sober for 24 hours. It's the very first step, the very first step. But then John Elmore, he had a bucket of pennies, they're one cent coins from the United States. And if you remember, if you were here, he poured out that bucket of pennies all across the front of the stage. And all of those pennies, he said, represented every single day of his journey. And he said, every single day I needed to turn again. Every single day I needed to get on my knees and say, God, give me grace today to turn away. He picked up one penny and he said, he said I remember the day when I was washing up at a friend's house. And no one was watching. And there was a little bit of wine left in the bottom of the glass. And there was this overwhelming temptation just to drink those last drops of wine. And he said, I had to turn away and I had to call on God to give me the grace for that moment. He picked up another penny and he said, there was this other occasion where there was these friends of mine after, you know, six, seven years who said, John, you weren't really an alcoholic. You should be able to drink in moderation. And he said, at that moment, again, I had to turn away again and call on God to give me grace to turn away in that moment. You see, self-control is developed by initially taking a step of repentance. But then it's also developed by day, by day, by day, by day obedience. Getting on your knees every day, calling upon God for grace every single day. Now let me give you some strategies that will help reinforce your repentance. Strategy number one, sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh. 
If you are going to walk this pathway of self-control or this pathway of discipline, then you need to sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh. You know, if you do have a problem with pornography, then don't spend hours watching unfiltered television, feeding your flesh. That will feed your flesh. But rather, open up your Bible and sow to the Spirit. Number two, make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. The Bible says in Romans 13, verse 14. What that means is that if you are an alcoholic, don't go into a pub. You know, one of the guys in our church who had a problem with pornography, one of the things he did is he got rid of his smartphone and he got a dumb phone. (laughs) A phone that wasn't connected to the internet so that he would, as my dad used to say, he would make a straight path for his feet to follow. You know, oftentimes we fall into sin in exactly the same ways over and over and over and over again. And when you think about it, that's stupid. We do the same things over and over again and expect different results. If you want to actually turn away from sin and walk the pathway of repentance, then you actually need to make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. And thirdly, get accountability. Get accountability. You won't be able to walk this pathway alone. John Elmore, he had to go to a recovery group where he was able to be honest and open and transparent about his struggles, where other people who struggled were able to encourage him. You know, the greatest recovery group should be our church here. I hope, I hope, I hope that the gospel has so penetrated our hearts that we're able to be honest with one another about our struggles and we're able to pray with one another and encourage each other to keep on pursuing holiness, whatever that might be. Because what makes us right with God? Is it our works or is it Jesus? What is it? Jesus. I was speaking to someone after the first service this morning and they were just saying to me, they said, oh, how can I be honest with all these people in the church who've got it so together? And I said, do you know these people? <laughs> you know, we all have areas that we are working on. We all need the grace of God. We're all works in progress here. We're all looking to Christ. He is our righteousness. So get accountability. So we've looked at this morning, we've looked at our main purpose is to bring glory to God. That's our main purpose, amen? What a purpose, bring glory to God. We've looked at how we accomplish this purpose by pursuing holiness, by being distinct in the way that we live. But what will motivate us to do this? Well, what will motivate us to do this is reverence for God. Deep reverence for God. Reverence for his discipline. Look down in verse 6. Paul says, abstain from sexual immorality. And he says that no one, so that no one may transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. You know, it is possible to fall under the father's discipline if you walk away. He'll discipline you because he loves you, because he wants to bring you back. But it is possible to come under the father's discipline. Because he loves you and he wants you to come back. 
So it's reverence for God's discipline. It's reverence for God's calling. Look in verse 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. The whole purpose of Him calling you to Himself was to call you out of sin, out of darkness. And it's reverence for God's Word. Look in verse 8. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not men, but God who gives His Holy Spirit. Just think, guys. Every time you click on that thing that you shouldn't, you're not just disregarding man. You're disregarding what God says. And so our motivation for holiness should be this deep reverence for God. That our salvation came at a great cost, a great price. God sent His only Son to die for us on the cross. And therefore, we should pursue holiness out of deep, deep reverence for God. When there is fear of God, when fear of God goes up, holiness will go up. Where there is no fear of God, there'll be very little holiness. So, in conclusion, let me bring this message to a conclusion. I've got two questions for you this morning that I want you to ponder as you walk away this morning. Here's the first question I want you to ponder. Number one, where in your life is God calling you to grow in holiness this morning? Where in your life, right at this moment, is God calling you to grow in holiness? Now, for some of you here today, you are doing well in your Christian life, and that's okay. The Thessalonians were doing well. Paul says, you guys are doing well. You're pleasing God. So do it more and more and more and more. So for some of you here today, it's just continuing to grow, continuing to go on. But for others of you here today, you need to come out of the darkness. You're living a secret life that no one knows. And you're in bondage. God is calling you this morning to come to himself, to come out of the darkness, to take a step out of the darkness and take a step into the light. And the second question I want to leave you with this morning is, what do you need to do? What step do you need to take to grow in holiness? What step do you need to take to grow in holiness? Maybe for some of you, God is saying to you, I want you to grow in holiness when it comes to your speech. And so maybe the step is that you need to actually study what the Bible says about the way we are to speak as Christians. Maybe it is what we've talked about in this passage this morning, sexual immorality. God wants you to take a step into purity, which means coming and talking to someone about what's going on in your life and confessing your sin, getting down on your knees and saying, God, give me grace to turn away from it. But I believe, I believe that wherever you are this morning, God would be saying to you, continue to grow. Continue to grow more and more and more and more. So that you bring more honor and more glory to the Lord Jesus who saved you. Let me pray.